It's a blessing to be able to come and to look into God's Word together, to go through the book of Proverbs. Uh, I know it can at times feel repetitive, but it, you repeat things that matter. You, you repeat things you want people to When I was in seminary, they, the um, method of preaching that they taught us uh, encouraged repeating your, your big idea of your sermon at least three times so that in the hopes that after you preached, if you were to ask somebody what was that sermon about, they could at least give you that big idea. Um, in the same way, Scripture and, and the people who wrote Scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they repeat things. When Jesus says, truly, truly, He's saying, this is important, pay attention. When the angels say, holy, 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 they are saying, God is some one greater than all others. And so as we are going through Proverbs and we keep hitting this language about an adulterous woman, Solomon is saying this is really important. You have got to watch out for the temptations and the desire that is growing in your own heart to young men in the context of how he is writing. We have looked at these issues in chapter 5, and we, we didn't get into it last week, but if you read chapter 6 this week, you got right into it again as soon as you know, we read through verse 19, and then uh, right afterwards you get in to talk about to, you know, listening to God's commandments and binding them around your neck, and they will guard you, they will guide you, they will keep you from the evil woman. And that idea just keeps coming up. And we're going to be leaving it soon. Uh, but that idea is, is prevalent in chapter 7. Chapter 7 repeats a lot of what we looked at two weeks ago, but it also gives it to us in a different way. Uh, it gives it to us predominantly in the form of a parable. And, and it is bookended with verses 1 through 5 and then verses 24 through 27 with this instruction from a father, his desire for his sons not to go down the way of sin. He specifies and specifically focuses on this uh, adulterous woman, this uh, prostitute really, is how she comes out to this young man. But it, it is something that as we go through this parable, it applies to sin. It applies to temptation as, as uh, we experience it. And, and the overwhelming desire of Solomon is that those that are hearing him, his son as he writes it, but this is similar, I would say this is very similar to the way that C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. You know, he's, he's writing as if he were a head demon, writing to an under demon, Wormwood. He, but his desire, even though he is signing everything, you know, your uncle screw tape, and it's all to wormwood. Well, he's talking to believers. He is just using a a device to help us hear the enemy's desire for our lives and how to avoid it. This is similar. He says in verse one, "My son," but he's really talking to everybody, not just his son. Uh, it's very similar to in verse 6 where he said, my son. It doesn't quite 
ha- uh, uh, chapter 6, excuse me, verse 1. It doesn't have the same uh, weight as, for instance, chapter 1 and, and chapter the earlier chapters had where, where he was talking specifically to his sons and talking about when he was young and what his father taught him. This is a general expression, but it, it's communicating a fatherly desire to give wisdom and to care for those underneath his supervision. And so Solomon is writing to all of us as a father figure. And he says in verse 7, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching as the apple of your eye. And that word apple, it's actually the pupil of your eye. And that's an interesting thing. And just to, to let you know, I went to say, okay, well, where did the idea of apple of your eye come from? And the etymology that I can find is, oh, it's from the Bible. Well, where is it from from the Bible? Well, from here. It's just the way English people have translated it. What, what the idea is, is the apple of your eye, the reason why they say apple is because the pupil, well, it's round and it kind of looks like an apple. But it's that idea of what you're focused on. Uh, one way I read it that I kind of liked it is that you can see yourself in the other person's pupil. You know, if you can see yourself in their eye, that means you're close, that means they're focused on you, that you know, means they care about you. And he's saying, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Let, it, let my teaching be the focus of your life. Let my teaching be so close and so dear to you that it is what your eye is focused on, the pupil of your eye. Let my, my commandments, you know, treasure them, keep them, keep my words, let them be the focus of your life. He moves on in verse 3. He says, bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And, and the Israelites were told to take the commandment of God and to, to bind it to their foreheads and to, to bind it to their right hand. The idea being that it should always be for, uh, foremost in their mind. That it should be their strength. Here Solomon is saying something similar. Bind my words to your fingers. That what you do would be uh, influenced by my commandments and my words to you. That you would not just do this externally, but that you would take what I have spoken to you and taught you, and that you would write them on the tablet of your heart. That That you would internalize my teaching. That you would let it guide how you live. That's that's his desire for us. He says in verse 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend. To, to, to refer to somebody as your sister is, is to say that you are close, that you love them. In fact, uh, to call a loved one, even a, a, a spouse, sister, is not crazy in that time. You know, this is not... Uh, Deep South kind of sister way. It's, it's a way of referring to somebody with love and intimacy that you are so close to me. That's why in Song of Solomon, my sister, my bride. He's talking about how close 
he feels to her. And, he, and here Solomon is saying, say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call understanding your intimate friend. Be intimate with wisdom and understanding. Love wisdom and understanding. Be close to wisdom and understanding. Treat wisdom and understanding as if it was your family. It's your life. It's your heritage. He says in verse 5, the whole reason for this, why that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words, from the seductress who flatters with her words, that they may keep you. And there's a, there's a contrast here between calling wisdom your sister from the adulteress. That you would, you would treat wisdom as such that you would be intimate and close to it. That wisdom would be your sister. So that wisdom and understanding would keep you away from an adulteress. The, the, the exact opposite of a sister is the focus. But just if we take Solomon's words here, what is he saying to us? He, he is telling us that, that wisdom and understanding can keep us from an adulteress, from that temptation to sin. That how though? I mean, is it just, well, I just learn a bunch of stuff? And if I learn a bunch of stuff, that'll keep me from sinning. It'll keep me from that temptation. It'll keep me from going those ways. That's not enough. He says to have this attitude about wisdom, have this relationship with understanding. But beyond that, in verses 1 through 3, we focused on his words, his commandments, his teaching. And what were we supposed to do? We were supposed to keep them, treasure them, uh, Make them the apple of our eye. Focus on them. Bind them on our fingers and let them inspire what we do. And write them on the tablet of our heart. It's not enough just to read God's Word and to say, yes, I understand that's what God desires of me. And to know that what God desires of me, that's not enough to keep us from the temptation and the sin that's represented by the adulteress. Instead, the way that wisdom and understanding can keep us from the adulteress, the way they can keep us from sin, is by our focus and our love for God's ways. He he is talking about His commandments and His teachings, and we can keep from sin by loving God's ways more than we do the sin and the temptation. Because that's what's really coming down. The, the, the sin, the, the temptation, the, the adulteress, well, she, she flatters. You know, she, she's enticing. It's understood and, and, and just put out there. They'll keep you from her. It doesn't need to be explained, although that's what the parable will, will walk us through. But to avoid the temptation, to avoid the sin, to avoid the adulteress in our lives. It's not enough just to know God's words, but we've got to love His ways, to desire His ways, to keep them, to treasure them, to say to them, you are my sister, you are my intimate friend. 
I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to go your way. And that's really the the contrast here. Even though uh, most of this chapter is about this parable of a young man going in the wrong uh, neighborhood and what happens to him, overwhelmingly we're looking at the way of sin. The, 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 the way of sin in our lives and how it infiltrates us, how it uh, tempts us, how we follow it. But contrasting that is the love for God's ways. And, and if we love His ways, is what Solomon is telling us here from the beginning, that wisdom and, and, and a love for God's ways, desire to honor Him, that is what will keep us from the adulteress, from sin and temptation in our lives. In verse 6, Solomon now begins his example, his illustration for the sons. He says, For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, literally the open-minded, the simple. The idea is there's not a whole lot in there. Not open-minded as in he, he's broad and, and willing to consider things. No, open-minded as empty-headed. The simple. The naive. I, just, I looked out and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. He does not have sense. He is not smart. He is not making wise decisions. What did he see this young man lacking sense do? He says in verse 8, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And in the middle of the night is literally in the pupil of the night. So remember, keep my words my, as the pupil, or my teaching as the pupil of your eye, the apple of your eye. Contrast that with this young man is going along and and Solomon sees him from his house. He's watching him and he sees among the naive and discerns among the youth, the young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. He's going right where temptation lies. Not only is he doing that, but he is taking the way to her house. He is actively pursuing that direction, that way. He takes the way to her house. And when is he doing it? He's doing it in the darkness of night. In the, you know, your pupil is black. It's dark. And so he's contrasting the, the pupil of your eye, something good, with no light is shining. It's dark. It's the middle of the night. And, and so the language, twilight, evening, middle of the night, the darkness, it's all this poetic language to talk about. He's not doing it in daytime. He hasn't gone this path by accident. He has waited until his actions can be hidden. And Solomon is watching him go. He is taking the way to her house. And so the first thing that we see is we see this youth and how he is acting is as we go back to verses 4 and 5 that that wisdom uh, and understanding may keep us from an adulteress, well, the first step is, is that if you desire God's ways, if you treasure His, His words, if you 
keep His teaching as the apple of your eye if you focus on Him. The first thing we see is that wisdom keeps us from seeking out temptation. Just in the very beginning, this young man is seeking the temptation. He is going by her house. He is going along her way and he is going at night. He is already seeking to be tempted. You know, if you if if you got to stay away from ice cream, maybe change the path so you don't drive by that store, that ice cream shop. Maybe you throw it all out of your freezer. You know, but sometimes and you shouldn't be eating that ice cream and you but you want to be tempted, you just you know, you just happen to walk through the dairy section, right? The frozen section and oh, you just happen to walk by and oh, there are so many there and oh, that one's got strawberries in it. It's probably healthy for you because it's got fruit, so it'd be okay. Wisdom keeps us from seeking out that temptation in the first place, but sometimes sometimes we do, don't we? We'll we'll go close to the temptation. We're not really going to go in. We're not really going to do that. We're just getting close. Wisdom says don't even play that game. Don't even get close. Stay away. Wisdom would keep the young man who is lacking sense, who is naive, it would keep him from even going down that path. If he really loved God's ways, he wouldn't go close. But sometimes what we do is we just want to, we just get close to the edge. You know, we, it's just a thrill just to get close. I'm not really sinning yet. I haven't jumped in. I'm just nearby. But wisdom would keep us from even seeking out the temptation. As he's going to her way and as he's going to her house, we read in verse 10. Now, remember, the young man is, is uh, passing through the street. He takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. Now what do we see? In a, in a similar uh, pattern, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So just as, just as he is coming along, you know, in the twilight, in the evening, in the midnight, in the darkness, well, now she's in the streets. Now she's by the squares. Now she's lurking by every corner. She is out and about, ready to find him, ready to capture him, ready to bring him in with her. We see that in verse 10 that she's dressed as a harlot. She is not um, playing the good girl. She is enticing him by letting him know exactly what he can have with her. And yet, she is also cunning of heart. She is boisterous, rebellious. We see later on, and after it lurks by every corner in verse 13, uh, as she comes up, so she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face, a bold face. We have such a thing as a, is it bald face or bold face? I've always thought it was bold face lie, but I think some people even say bald face lie. I don't know how a face becomes bald, but a bold face lie, if you ever were confused by that term. Brazenly, with a brazen face, she says to him. And this, this construct, brazen face speaking, shows up here and it shows up later in Proverbs and it's focused on lies. 
And so that's what she is doing. She is boisterous. She is rebellious. But she's cunning of heart. And she seizes him. She kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vow. This is worship talk. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you. I've been looking for you to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. Oh, I've been wanting to see you. I've been looking for you. She is, she is enticing him. She says, I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Now, obviously, they went for different things back then. I don't know if you spread my bed with cinnamon. I don't know that's going to work for me. But what she is saying is, I have prepared everything at home. I am offering you such delights that you do not normally experience. Luxurious linens of Egypt. Myrrh and aloes and cinnamon are sprinkled on my bed. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. And then... For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. Now, it, it, this is all very curious language. Some people think when she's talking about uh, offering peace offerings, that she was, she's talking about like offerings to a goddess that was worshipped on the high places. And um, when she's talking about her husband is not home, he has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. The idea is, hey, he has got so much money, he won't be back for a long time. There's no... Partly, it's, it's you don't need to worry. Have no fear. My husband's not at home. He won't be home for a long time. But there's another angle that is also possible that we don't hear about very often. It, it, it's possible that because she is mentioning, I paid my vows, which is mingling this idea of worship. If this is, I, I was due to offer peace offerings today, and today I paid my vows, that, that she's putting on the face of, I worship God. I'm a good person. I, I'm following the law. You know, she's mingling her sin with the, the worship. But then when you talk about her husband is not home, he has gone on a long journey, he has taken a bag of money with him, it's possible that she's also communicating her need. I'm all out of money. I paid my vows. I'm all out of money. My husband's not around. He's taken all the money with him. He won't be back until the new moon. Or the full moon, excuse me. He will come home. So it's possible that the reading is she is playing on his uh, feelings and even enticing him because of her poverty. Oh, you need to help me. And so, so this is actually a good thing you're doing because you're helping me. I worshipped earlier and you're, you're going to help me get through until my husband can come home. Oh, what you're doing is a good thing for me. Now, whether, 
whichever way, it really doesn't matter because uh, what we're told in verse 21 is that with her many persuasions, she entices him. She's persuading him to come with her and she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And here's, here's the thing, flattering lips. The word flattery there, flattering, means to divide someone. It has the idea of splitting your focus. You know, if you flatter them, you're, you're dividing them. You can separate somebody from the truth. And you can get them mixed up in their mind. And, and that's kind of the idea that she is dividing his focus. Whereas he's supposed to focus on the teachings of his Father and, and of the Lord and the commandments and wisdom. Well, now she's enticing him. She's confusing him. She's getting him to think about all the joy that she is offering him, and yet also maybe it's even a good thing. Have you ever been confronted with sin like that, that the temptation you start thinking about, temptation you come to even why it might even be a good thing in your life, why it might be right for you to do this? We see that this happened to Eve. In the garden, right? The, 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 the serpent said, oh, you can't even, you know, God hasn't given you everything. And when Eve says, you're right, yeah, we're not supposed to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, nor even touch it. Then what does he do? He says, oh, that's, that's not, you're not going to die. No, God's just trying to keep it from you because he knows you'll be just like him. And instead of focusing on what God's Word has said, instead of making His teaching the pupil of her eye, what she's doing is she's starting to think, I can be just like God. God is trying to keep something from me. And then she, what does she do? She says, she looks at the fruit and she says, she notices that it looks good. It looks good for eating and it would give her wisdom. And so now the idea starts to develop, this would be a good thing to have. God's keeping something good from me. That's the flattery. That's the flattery. And that's what's happening to this young man. She is enticing him. She is seducing him. And that's what happens with temptation in our lives. The, the, the temptation and the call to sin, it, it is based in lies. Temptation turns us from righteousness with lies. The, the temptation is never the truth. It is always a lie. God's Word is truth. God's teachings are truth. God's wisdom is truth. The seduction, the beguiling ways, the brazen face, it's, it's saying falsehoods. It's lying to us. Sometimes we're lying to ourselves so that we can go ahead and go into our sin. But it's a lie. It is always a lie. She is offering him not a good time, but destruction. He's not going to help her. She is just going to use him and leave him behind. As chapter 6 said, that uh, a harlot reduces a man to a loaf of bread. She might pretend, oh, you're so special to me, but she just knows the game. And sin is like that. 
the, the devil is like that. He, he, he will make you think you need this. He will make you think you deserve it. He will make you think it's what you should do. And as soon as it's done, that sin, and, and it doesn't have to be sexual, and just that sin in our lives. No, it was a lie. And it destroys. And, and that's, what, that's what Solomon is worried about for, for his sons and for us. He concludes the parable in verses 22 and 23. Uh, she has seduced him and suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. He's bound and he's going to be disciplined like a fool. Until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. He, he has gone to that street. He has gone along that way. She has come out. She has met him. She has brazenly invited him in. She has lied to him. She has promised him. And all of it comes to the end. Like an ox goes to the slaughter. You know, when you, I've never really worked in a slaughterhouse, but I'm assuming that the last thing you want the oxen to know is that you're about to kill it. You know, so you speak softly to it and gently to it, and it's happy right up until the end. Because that's probably the easiest way to slaughter an ox, if you ask me. Not knowing, not an expert, but that's just my suggestion, my thought. You don't want it to know there's danger. And just like an ox being led to the slaughter... Or an animal, you know, until an arrow pierces through his liver, the hunter is quiet, silent, hidden, doesn't want that deer, that elk, to know it's in danger until the last. Really, you hope it never knew. You hope it's like it's just sitting there going along with life and then it doesn't know anything. And it never knew it was coming. And that's this young man going with her until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. He is going headlong into destruction. Verse 24, Solomon says, Now therefore, my sons... So he goes back to teaching us. He says, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Again, what did he say at the very beginning? Keep my words, treasure my commandments. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. It begins with the heart. Do not stray into her path. Don't even allow yourself to accidentally be there. For many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. It sounds so great. It looks so good. But numerous are all her slain. Her house isn't the place of, of pleasure. Her house is the way to Sheol. To the way of death. And, and here's, here's the last thing that wisdom tells us and that if we listen to wisdom we would be we reminded of we're not just talking about 
adultery and, and going for the pleasures of sex here, but, but all sin. Sin entices us. It is brazen and lies to us. Sometimes we even lie to ourselves about it. We, we need to avoid it. We need to stay away from it. We don't need to turn, our, uh, turn aside to it or even find ourselves straying into its path because wisdom knows sin. Wisdom knows sin for what it truly is. Wisdom knows that temptation for what it truly is. That the temptation is a lie. And wisdom sees sin for what it really is. Death. Sin is death. It, it is inviting it into our bodies. It is inviting it into our lives. And it is, it is the path that sin takes us on. The way of sin it ultimately leads to death. We see this in the beginning with uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, when you eat of it, you will die. And you know, they, they, they didn't die immediately, but they died. They died spiritually. The same is true for sin today. You might walk away from your sin today. You might be able to walk in your sin for a while and feel no ill effects and think maybe it's not that bad. It's the way of the world. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. But no, sin is death. And wisdom knows. Wisdom sees sin for what it is. Wisdom knows it's death. That's why wisdom encourages us, don't go close. Don't give in. Avoid it. Make wisdom your sister. Call understanding your intimate friend. Bind it on your fingers. Write it on the tablet of your hearts. Keep it as the focus of your eye. Don't go down those paths because they are death. But God's Word is life. And so if we see the path of sin, if we see the way of sin, and we know that the way of sin leads to death, the opposite, to keep His commandments, to keep His teachings, to, to focus on them, to love God's ways, is the way of life to keep us from sin, to keep us from temptation. Don't follow the, the way of sin. Follow the way of God, the way of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the fact that You do speak into our lives and bring to us wisdom. Lord, that You cry out to us that we would not go down the path that we know ends in destruction. We think we can get away with it for a little while. We can dabble. We think maybe we can just taste a little bit and then run away. But Lord, we know that we just go down that way. If we go close to the temptation, if we allow those things that tempt us in our hearts to grow, if we start focusing on them instead of You, that eventually they will lie to us and we will believe the lie. Lord, help us to remember those temptations or lies and the sin that they would call us to live. It means death for us. But You have given us life through Your Son. You have given us life through Your Word. And Father, we pray that You would guide us to, to walk in Your paths, to seek 
those things that glorify Your name that, that You rejoice in. Lord, may we keep Your Word as the focus of our eye, the apple of our eye. May we write Your commandments on our hearts that we would not sin against You, Lord. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.